Hey there, church. I am super glad you're here. You know, every time we gather as a church family, I pray that God will speak in those moments. I regularly walk the spaces around our network asking that God will allow us to encounter Him. And so the spaces that we gather for worship, for prayer, and study of His Word, they're essential moments for how God works in and through us as a church family. But it's really important to understand that those moments are not destinations. They're really more launching pads. They're not the point. They're, they're actually the place by which we can lean more into the point, the, the launching pad reality. See, wherever you connect into the Heritage Network, you're part of a larger family, you're part of a larger work and story that God is writing. And if you're a guest with us today, just checking things out, picked a great weekend to join in because you'll get to hear what's important to us and why we do what we do. And if you've been here for a long time, you'd be a reminder, even some clarity for why we do what we do. Because we're unique as a church. The, the, the primary purpose that we exist is not solely to gather in spaces like this for worship and prayer and study. It, it actually extends beyond that to the rest of the week. When thousands of people who call Heritage Home move into their workplace and their, into their neighborhoods and, and into their houses with the love of Jesus, the, the greater ministry of heritage is represented in that. That's our heritage. I want to just put something in your headspace, and you don't have to draw this. I just want you to understand it as we start this conversation that we're calling our heritage. See, we know that we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. We get to do this. God has positioned us to be a part of seeing people connect to him, to connect to other people, and connect into their God-given purpose. I love that he lets us do it. He's gracious enough to allow us to do it. So for more than 50 years, uh, what started more than 50 years ago in a subdivision of Moline called Heritage, that's where our name comes from, that thing has grown into something of increasing value and influence across our cities. It's our heritage. See, we, we gather on weekends, but that's not all we do. Who we are and what we do is different than that. It's, we're unique. We're unique in how we reach. We're unique in how we build bridges of relationships because we understand that we don't just go to church. We are the church. And beyond that reality is a beautiful reality that we are present and positioned and partnered in greater ways than ever before as a church. We do gather on weekends across our network, but there's greater ministry than that. In fact, we are currently connected into two correctional facilities, Kiwani and the Rock Island County Jail. We are positioned to love and serve people in those two spaces. That's, that's our heritage. We're also positioned to love and serve people in three schools, Thurgood Marshall, Jefferson, and Lincoln Irving. Rock Island, Davenport, and Moline. We get to love and serve teachers and students in that space, in those spaces. We're also positioned to care for students, roughly 30 students, at the bus stop at Esperanza. Every school day morning, we get to love the students and, that come and stay in those spaces and serve the families that need to have that. This is a valuable and impactful ministry in that community. And if you're someone who's up early in the morning anyway, I'd encourage you to think about signing up for that. Because <laughs> we need some volunteers to continue in that vital expression. We also have a child care that has consistently been at maximum capacity. We have a legal assistance center 
that is positioned to help people navigate a complex system, but to do it with integrity, to do it with character, and to do it under the submitted, uh, submitted under the authority that exists. And out of that space, listen, we have been able to serve people from more than, listen, more than 35 different nations. We have served people from more than 35 different nations out of the Legal Assistance Center. It represents six different primary languages, English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Swahili, and Arabic. That's our heritage. All of these things down here are located in the Esperanza Center, which just last year saw 22 other organizations, partner organizations, serve our community and city out of that space. <laughs> That's our heritage. You can whoop about that, yeah. I haven't even started to talk about and mention the new and exciting things coming at Bridgepoint. 110,000 square feet in the center of our city is the former Kone building, positioned to have many of the similar dynamics of Esperanza, but at a whole nother level, a whole nother group of people connected. We already have four tenants in that space. That's our heritage. And the reality is that we now sit in a place of five different primary locations in our network. Four buildings. Each building, a building brought back to life and given new purpose. Not that much unlike what Jesus does for us. It's our heritage. It's who we are and what we do. And what was birthed and innovated out of a little red brick building in the subdivision known as heritage laid a foundation that we continue to build on. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and have the privilege of consistently reaching those who are far from God. In fact, if you just want to do this for a moment, you think about this number five, not as locations, but think about it as years. Just in the last five years, we know of 1,575 people by name who have made first-time decisions for Jesus through the ministry of our Heritage Church. why we do what we do. 1,110 people stepped into the waters of baptism, that next step of obedience, because Jesus said to, that public declaration. And this is, this is fantastic. I love that God allows us to do this, but you have to understand, we're not done. In our cities, roughly half of the people of our cities say they're not affiliated to any religious, have any religious affiliation at all. There's an increasing number of people leaning away from the things of God altogether. Yet I love that I get to serve alongside a church that values this. It's, it's big, it's messy, but it's worth it. And we don't do it perfectly, but we are passionate about Jesus. And you're part of it. Whether you've been here 20 years or 20 days, whether this is your first day and you're just leaning in, this is our heritage. This is who we are. It explains why we do what we do. Jesus saves us and he sends us. That's our heritage. We're committed to being Jesus wherever Jesus wants us to go and be him. And as one church in multiple locations with multiple languages and multiple generations, we are never more committed than we are now to seeing all people thrive in the name and love of Jesus Christ. It's why we do what we do. And this series, Our Heritage, is positioning us to, to talk through connecting belief and practice, who we are to what we do. 
understanding the dynamic behind it. So we're going to talk about what's important. We're going to talk about where we're going as a church, and we're going to talk about how it all connects together. And we're going to do that with the help of focusing on specifically six things. These six things. These are values, our values. Authentic love, intense spirituality, radical generosity, faithful risk, hopeful partnership, and passionate mission. These six things are the things of faith. These six values explain why we do what we do and why we don't do other things. They're the, they're, they explain where we've been and where we're going. They shape who we are. And they should shape us as individuals if we follow Jesus because they reflect the characters and values of Jesus and what he modeled for us. And so we're going to spend time unpacking specifically the values and then putting them in the context of real stories and examples of how God is working through them, bringing real life change in and through us. Really, the restoration of lives. Just as we have spent some time restoring a couple buildings, it's not about the buildings, it's about restoring lives to fullness. And these are the things that allow us to do that. We're going to be leaning into them in this series we call our heritage. Because Jesus does save us and Jesus sends us. And, and he saves us from sin. He saves us from the stuff we've messed up. Whenever we ask him to be Lord and Savior, he, he rescues, but then he turns us around and sends us back out to help others experience that same rescue. But he also demonstrates for us how we're to live. And these six things reflect that. They show us his life and his love and his leadership. Because he is the one who saves, because he is the one who sends, understand this. And it's the first feeling if you want to use your note guide today. Jesus saves, but he also models. He models. He demonstrates for us how we're supposed to live. He gives us the example of our conduct. He gives us the, the calling to how we're supposed to function out of his own example. He, he saves and he models. We are created in the image of the Godhead. We're created in the image of God. We are created and it, it, for his purpose, we're inspired by the example of Jesus and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we as a church, we as a church family aspire to live out the characteristics and the values we've seen him model. And these six things in our heritage will help us do that. And today we're actually going to start with authentic love and intense spirituality. These two. We're going to focus in our time today looking at what these are. And next week we're going to unpack a bit more about them and how they connect into story and the narrative that God's writing. But we're starting with authentic love and intense spirituality. And my hope is that we as a church family will get to the point, each one of us, where we love not because we have to. And that we embrace a spirituality not because we need to but that we intentionally embrace authentic love and intense spirituality because we want to, because we're compelled to, we can't help ourselves, because that reflects Jesus. So we're going to get into it right now. We're going to look at something that Jesus said in the context of prayer. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 17, because Jesus valued and understood the importance of prayer. He knew it changed things. Prayer actually changes everything many times. And it was the little brother of Jesus who said this in James chapter 5, verse 16. He said, the earnest prayer of a righteous person is, has great power and produces wonderful results. Prayer changes things. Prayer takes something that is impossible and makes it possible. Prayer takes something that is hopeless and makes it hope-filled. It changes things. And Jesus understood that. And so he spent a lot of time in prayer. And scripture captures many moments where he was praying, sometimes publicly, sometimes privately. And we're actually stepping into a moment where he's praying. He, he's actually been praying for a little bit. He starts by praying for himself, and then he prays for his disciples. But then there's a shift. And this prayer actually takes place shortly before he's betrayed, shortly before he's crucified. 
And we're going to step into this prayer after he spent time praying for himself, praying for his disciples, and then there's this moment that turns. So this is John 17, starting at verse 20. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will, be, they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now, let me just hold right there because he's praying that we would be like him. Jesus saves, but he models. Everything he asks us to do is something he's done. He never asks us to do anything he isn't willing to do or hasn't already done. And he's praying that we would be like him in form and in function. He, he's praying specifically for his 11 disciples in this moment right beforehand. It's 11, not 12, because Judas has already left. Judas has gone to betray him. And he is specifically focused in on praying, not just for himself and not just for the 11 that were with him, but beyond that, he's praying for us. We were on his mind in this space. He's praying for those who would come to faith through the testimony of the 11. And if you're someone who walks with Jesus, that's you. You're, you're someone that Jesus prayed for. You were on his mind in this space, which is probably to me one of the most astonishing things in Scripture because he knew what laid ahead of him in the very next season. He knew that he was being betrayed. He knew that he would be beaten, falsely accused. He knew he'd be crucified. He would be killed. He knew all that, yet he still cared enough to take time to think of us. Stop and think about that for a moment. We were on his mind. How does that make you feel to think and realize he prayed for you? It's, it's astonishing to me. He prayed for you and he prayed for me. He, he prayed just as specifically for us as he prayed for the 11 who walked with him in his time here on earth. It's wonderful. But it's also important because how he prays and what he prays for is foundational. It's foundational for living into the six values that we're looking at in the series. And specifically, relevant to authentic love and intense spirituality. Because right before we read, right before, and he's praying right before we read, he prays in verse 11 for unity. He, he prays in verse 15 that, that for protection from the evil one. He prays in verse 17 for holiness. And throughout this whole prayer, he's praying for a oneness, a unity that's, that's really reflected in the unity that he shares with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's like, look, have the same unity that we have, that same connection, that same fellowship. That's the model. And within the context of that prayer, the whole prayer, he's actually praying for us too. It's not just verses 20 to what would end up being 24. It's, it's, the, it's before and after that because he says, look, I am praying not only for these disciples, that's the 11, but also for all who ever believe. That's us. And we need it. We need it. Listen, to live into this, to, to, to strive for seeing God's kingdom brought as reality here on this earth, this is not an easy task. This thing is filled with opposition and challenge. There's great hardship in living into these realities. There's brokenness in this. There's even been brokenness within unity among believers. As we have started programs and stopped programs, some who have called Heritage Home no longer do. And I have to tell you, that's heartbreaking for me and, and the rest of the team. I understand that people have preferences, but I, that is a space of great sorrow for me anytime anybody decides not to continue to lean into the things God's calling us to do. It plays a great sorrow for me. 
But I understand that when I stand before him, when you stand before him and we stand before Jesus, he will not ask us what we did in programming. He will ask us what we did with his love. Did we lead people to him? And we did, make, did we make disciples who make disciples or not? This is so important. This is why we're seeking to multiply his love. This is why we're seeking to, to bring the peace and prosperity into our cities in the name of Jesus. We have never been better or more positioned to see that happen, but I'm going to tell you, it is not without opposition and it is not without challenge. It comes with great difficulty, but that makes the prayer that Jesus is praying all the more important, all the more relevant to what we're doing. See, when, when we look at this and how he's praying, oneness is an expression of love. And holiness is an expression of spirituality. But what Jesus is calling for and what Jesus is even praying about is not any love and not any spirituality. He's praying for an authentic love and an intense spirituality. And here's why. Because authentic love positions us. When we embrace authentic love, it positions us. It, it, it gives us opportunity. It allows us access. It gives us purpose, a readiness, and a willingness. Authentic love positions us for the purpose God has. And, and the, that intense spirituality, it is something that enables. Intense spirituality empowers us. It, it gives us strength. It gives us focus. It gives us influence, the ability to lean into the hardship of the, of the good work he calls us to, to, to really make a difference in every moment of every day where we're listening or talking in any space with any person. It's for you and me. It's for us as a church family. Listen, any fruit, any success, any victory that we experience, any rising from hardship, any rising from brokenness is always connected back to his power and his purpose. It always comes with his his love and his empowerment. And intense spirituality empowers us. Authentic love positions us, each through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that multiplies those things in our lives when we allow Holy Spirit to work in us. Authentic love positions, intense spirituality empowers. So let's just keep reading in this prayer, verse 22. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you have given to me, given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Now that statement there goes all the way back to John 1 where it says that Jesus was present at the creation. Nothing's been made without him that has been made. He was there. You can go to John 1 on your own if that blows your mind. Like Jesus was present at the forming of the world. Yes, he was. Father, Son, and Spirit. But what's interesting here is how he prays shows us that Jesus understood his disciples would struggle. They would run. They would deny. He knew that. But he also knew that they would rally back to their purpose. They would rally back to an empowerment through Holy Spirit that they would come back to the reason and the thing that he called them to, that they would do it and that we would do it. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've made mistakes. We've missed the mark. But the reality is we can come back into his empowerment through spiritual intensity out of his authentic love that positions us to live. We can experience that. It's by the resurrection of Jesus that we can embrace new ministry and new life and new purpose, even out of brokenness, because Holy Spirit works in and through us. If you think about how Jesus, when, when he left the earth, when he went back to heaven, there was very little to show for his ministry when he left. 
but he had full confidence in the 11. He had full confidence in his disciples and in us that we would live in authentic love and intense spirituality and we would advance his kingdom in his name and in the power of Holy Spirit. And the widening of the prayer from just the 11 to include you and I is key. Authentic love and spiritual intensity. It also speaks to how important it is for him that unity is. How important it was and how much it still is important to him. So if we're looking at this authentic love that it positions and intense spirituality that actually empowers us, I want to go a bit further down. I want to go a layer down in the conversation because Jesus gives some instructions, some final instructions to his disciples before he prays this prayer in John 17. We back up to John 15, we find some instruction. It's really an invitation that Jesus is giving his disciples to authentic love. Here's what it says, John 15, starting with verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, that seems fine, seems kind of clear and and straightforward, but why does he say remain? Remain. Why does he say remain, remain, remain repeatedly over and over again? Why does he make that that repetitious calling, calling us to remain? Here's the reason I think that is. Because he knew he would be tempted not to. He knew we would be tempted to drift. He knew we would be tempted to wander, tempted to reject the love that we need. He knew we would need it for ourselves and we would need it for others. In fact, the guy who wrote John 15 and John 17 and the whole book of John, his name was John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And here's what he said in 1st John. It's 1st John 4, not 14. Typo in your note guide. If you're looking for 1st John 14, you're going to be a while because it doesn't exist. We're in 1st John 4. Here we go. 1st John 4, verse 16. He said, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. My friends, God is love. Love comes from him. We must rely on it. We are not positioned to conjure up love to do good works. We're positioned to receive his love and relay his love and rely on his love. We don't fabricate the love. We don't develop it ourselves. We receive his and in return give that back and extend it to others. We receive it and rely on it and we relay it as we seek the restoration of lives and spaces and places. When we talk about being a church family that lives love linked and sent, when we talk about living loved, we're really talking about being a person who loves knowing they are loved. That's what living loved is. That we seek to love others and love God knowing we're already loved. There's beauty and power in that. It's essential. Because we cannot lead people where we haven't been. You and I cannot lead people where we haven't been. We can't encourage, we can't show, we can't teach things that we don't understand or know. Now, I realize some people argue that actually you can lead people where you haven't been. My family vacations prove that. Every time I've gone somewhere I've never been, we've made it, except for the times we got lost. Okay, listen, I get you're talking about going somewhere on a map, you're going somewhere geographically. Maybe you can get there if you've never been there before. But leading your family on a family vacation is one thing. But when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to things of faith, you cannot lead people where you haven't been. You cannot lead people to freedom if you're not free. You cannot lead people towards holiness if you're not living a righteous and holy life. That's the blind leading the blind. 
We can't lead people where we haven't been, which is why authentic love and intense spirituality are so fundamental to the journey. But before we get to like some practical application for how we live into those two values, I want to step back into the Old Testament for a moment and look at somebody who lived out the things we're talking about, who lived out authentic love and intense spirituality, who lived out the reality of being able to lead people where they had already in some ways been. His, his name is Joshua. And yes, that's the Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho, but well before he was positioned to do that, he was born in Egypt, a slave. He was a Hebrew. He was present when Moses came at the authority of God and the 10 plagues went through that process and they were released from Egypt. He was there when they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. He was there when he saw the Red Sea closed behind him and all of Pharaoh's army destroyed. He was there when the people reached the promised land. He was one of 12 spies who went into the promised land for 40 days. He was one of only two spies who said, we should be going into the promised land now, while the 10 said, no, we shouldn't, we can't, it's too much of a problem, too big, too complicated. He was there when the people wandered for 40 years in the desert because they didn't go into the promised land as God had told them to do. He and one other person named Caleb that was an adult in that season were the only two to enter the promised land after that 40 years of wandering. And Joshua would be the one who would lead an incredible campaign, military campaign to take the land. But he didn't just lead the people back to the promised land. He led them back to proximity and faith with God. And there was one thing that he did that I believe was the game changer. And we find it in Exodus chapter 33. Here's what it says. Check this out. Inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now let me just hold and explain something. At this time, the Lord showed up in spaces like the, the tabernacle, the tent, the temple. His presence was in, in, a, in a location. It's different for us now by Holy Spirit. But at this time, the Lord would show up in the holy place. So the tent of meeting was that as the people were in transition. And he would speak to Moses there. But let's keep reading. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But, key word, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua son of Nun, would what? Would what? Remain. Remain. Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Did you catch that? Joshua stayed behind. Joshua remained. I believe this is likely the space that he learned what he needed to learn to lead the people into the promised land. I believe it is the space that he learned to talk with God and not just talk at God. He remained. I think about the opportunity he had to hang out at that tent and to spend that extra time after Moses is gone just hanging with God. How cool would that have been to be in that space and to hang there with God? But I'm going to tell you, because of what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection, we have that same access now by Holy Spirit. If we'll just choose to remain. If we'll just choose to hang back. If we'll just choose to create a space by which we can develop an authentic love and an intense spirituality. Joshua was willing to remain. You and I, we can know him. We can, we can be with him if we're just willing to pursue him. In fact, it was Rick Warren, who's a pastor out in California, said, you are as close to God as you choose to be. That's true. You and I are as close to God as we choose to be. We can know him. We can be with him if we'll just pursue him. I believe the most impactful thing that Joshua did in his journey was to choose to stay behind and to create space to be with God, to remain. 
Because when he remained, he developed authentic love. He developed intense spirituality. He developed proximity. The most impactful thing that he did was that he stayed behind and he remained. See, intensity comes with proximity. We're talking about intense spirituality. Intensity comes with proximity. Authentic love and spiritual intensity are based in intimacy. Intimacy is not based in performance, but proximity. So it's not about how well we do or how much we accomplish. It's about who we are. It's not about just what we do. As a friend of mine recently said, he said, we are not human doings, we are human beings. So really the paradigm is that we need to be a people who are willing to be before we do. It's about our being leading to doing. That comes by proximity. That comes by staying behind. That comes by remaining. Not just connecting with him in these spaces, but carving out space to be alone with him, to develop authentic love and intense spirituality. Intimacy with God is defined in how close we remain. Remain in his love. Remain in his presence. Remain in his power. Remain in his purpose. Intensity comes from proximity. Intimacy, for that matter, comes with proximity. Intimacy and intensity come from proximity. You know, I used to love roller coaster rides. Anybody else like roller coasters? Not so many people. Okay, listen, I used to love that. I used to love the ride, the thrill, the adrenaline, my stomach kind of turning over in the drop. Used to love that stuff. Used to love having my hair laid back, which I don't get to do anymore. Okay, I used to love roller coaster rides, but jumping out of airplanes in the army, wrestling with suspects as a state trooper has left my neck and back not what it used to be. So when I ride roller coasters now, I feel the effects later. So I don't ride them anymore. What I end up doing is I end up hanging out with the grandparents and pregnant women at the exit. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Good. We have great conversations, great people. We hang out there. But I'll tell you one thing I've never heard in any of those conversations. Any of the folks, the grandparents or pregnant women I'm sitting with, I've never heard them say, wow, that was intense. Not once. I've watched hundreds of people exit the rides. Hair laid back, wide-eyed, smiling, talking away. It's talking, how all that? Like, that was intense but not once I've ever heard a grandparent or pregnant woman sitting next to me say, wow, that was intense. See, we can appreciate intensity from afar, but we only experience it up close. We only experience it up close. Intensity comes from proximity. So get close to God. You're as close as you choose to be. So get close. The six values we're talking about, all six of them, they position us to get close. They position us to have proximity. So get close to him. They put us on the front edge of what God's trying to do in the world, in and through us. Some of these things may excite you to read, like, wow, that sounds cool. I can't wait till we lean into that. I can't, can't wait till we embrace that more. But some of them may feel worrisome to you, like, wow, that seems like a lot. What's that going to mean? What's that going to cost? What's that, what's that, what sacrifice comes along with that? And regardless of how you feel about any of them, none of them, when lived rightly, are easy. They're not. They're not for the faint of heart. They come with opposition. They come with challenge. They're not easy. But that's why Jesus prayed the way he prayed. It's why he prayed what he did pray. He knew we would need each other as we live in his purpose with his power. And these things... They position God's people for service, for impact, for their purpose. If we'll embrace them and live into them, trusting in his power. So, so what? I mean, I could 
oversimplify the conversation and say that authentic love is our why and intense spirituality is our how. Authentic love is why we do what we do and that intense spirituality is how we go about doing it. But we must remain for both. We must remain behind to be with him in intimacy. We must remain in his love. There's, there's power and positioning that comes in remaining. And the proximity to him is required for both authentic love and intense spirituality. It doesn't happen without that. Authentic love positions, intense spirituality empowers. They both help us to remain. As a people, as a church on mission, even as individuals living into our purpose on a daily basis. So as we look at having more conversation about these things next week, I want to give you just some handholds, some practical application for authentic love and intense spirituality. They're evidences of both. Here are some evidences of authentic love, to speak the truth in love. I don't care what setting you're in, speaking the truth in love is always what God calls us to. Not just truth and not just touchy-feely love. It's both. Sometimes uncomfortable. There's discomfort sometimes in truth and love, but it's always right and good. Speak the truth in love. Consistently seek more for others than from them. This is, why, this is something that's key to who we are as a church. We don't go into spaces seeking what we can get. We, we go into spaces seeking what we can give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. But in his math, it ends up being this reciprocal thing that happens in it. But we seek to, to offer, to see what we can not get, but what we can give. So, so when we go into spaces, seek more for others than from them. That's authentic love. And then there's the reality of living in a posture of genuine empathy. We talked about empathy a couple of weeks ago in our Won't You Be My Neighbor series. If you're not familiar with empathy, I'd encourage you to check it out online. But we live in authentic love. We live in a posture of genuine empathy for those around us and whatever their circumstances are, no matter what their choices have been to that point. Evidences of authentic love. These are the things that are hallmarks of Jesus' love for us. They are practical ways for us to demonstrate our love for him and to demonstrate that same love to others. And in some ways, authentic love is kind of the heart behind all five, including intense spirituality. In fact, in, uh, intense spirituality is about vitality. It's about passion and priority and purpose. It's strength, it's focus in our spiritual lives. And it defines more than many of us realize. But here are some evidences of, of that. Seek God and his priorities first. Put his, put his stuff first. Make him priority. Live lives marked by the character and love of Christ. He modeled for us. He saves us, but he models for us. We're to live out his character in the ways that we engage and consistently invest sacrifice for others. These are some of the evidences of, his, of intense, intense spirituality. It's essential to living in the fullness with God. But I'm going to tell you, prayer is a primary expression. Remaining behind is a key component. Authentic love positions, intense spirituality empowers Intimacy and intensity come from proximity. We'll have neither if we don't remain and find proximity. It's when we remain that we experience that. So let me ask a question. Where is Jesus inviting you to remain next? There is some place in your world that will lead you into deeper love and greater intensity in your spiritual life if you're willing to remain where he wants you to remain next. It could be pulling back and being more intentional in your own daily quiet time with him. It could be actually stepping out in his love 
in a relationship that's challenged or in a space that you know you should be reaching into? Where is he asking you to remain next? Where does the reality of his prayer need to become reality in your life? Where do you need to remain to experience and not just observe so that you can say, wow, that was intense because my Lord worked and moved in and through me by his love and by his power. Where is Jesus asking you to remain next? A.W. Tozer said something. He said that, that, that God is able to do all kinds of things through a yielded and purified people. He said there's nothing that God can't do. There is no limit to what God can do through a yielded and purified people. A yielded and purified people have authentic love and intense spirituality. It is my prayer that we would be that people, a people yielded and purified before him, embracing authentic love and intense spirituality so that he can do even more. Positioned and empowered for his purpose. So what I want to do now across our network is just create a moment for us individually have conversation with him, to talk with him about that next. Where, where is he inviting you to remain next? Have that conversation. We're going to talk more about these things as we continue through our, our Heritage series. But as we get ready to step back into worship, my prayer is that he would speak in these moments to you. He'd speak to me that he would continue to use the conversation to help us live into the six values that express the characteristics of his son. But I think it starts with a willingness to remain. It starts with a willingness to embrace authentic love and intense spirituality, to be positioned and empowered. So where is he asking you to remain next for his purpose? You, my friends, are part of this and all that is yet to come. Being able to live into the fullness of what he asks for us as a church and as individuals comes from a willingness to remain. It comes from intimacy and intensity acquired by proximity. So let's take a moment to embrace a proximity that he can work in and through us at new levels. I'm gonna pray and I'm not gonna say amen when I'm done because I want to invite you to have a space to remain but our worship teams will lead us in song and you can engage however you feel led at that point. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for being willing to pursue us. Jesus, thank you for modeling for us how we are to live. Thank you for creating a way for us to be saved. And if there's anyone here today across our network that needs to step into a relationship with you and find that rescue, may they do so even now. But for those who walk with you, for those you prayed for back in, as is recorded in John 17, Lord, may we be a people who reflect you in our love, in our unity, in our intensity around the spirituality you call us to. And I pray in these next few moments that we would embrace a heritage that you give us, a legacy that you've given us, that we would say yes and amen to all the things you ask of us, and that we would be a people marked by hope because we do have hope. Because it's in you. Our identity is in you. We can know you. We can be with you if we would just pursue you. So today, Lord, may we all choose to take a closer step and just lean into being closer to you as we remain. And over these next few moments as we sing, may we hear you. May we encounter you. And we may know you more.